Dear gracious Father, we thank you so very much for your son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins. We would ask that you would be with us in our fight against temptation. Uh, Not just because it's harmful to us, but because we want to honor and glorify you. Because we want uh, you to be pleased. Because we want your gospel to be proclaimed throughout the world. And so we just ask that you will help us. You'll be with us and help us just focus on the text this morning. That we may learn, help us be teachable and humble that we may present a life that's pleasing to you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time. In your son's name, amen. This morning, I was looking for a hymnal, or I was looking, well, I was looking for a hymnal. When I found a hymnal, I was looking for a particular hymn, and I don't know, we'll do a little hymn drill, see if anybody knows the number. I was looking for that hymn, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. I'm joking, it's not in the hymnal, though probably some people think it should be. Um, I remember the first time I heard that song, I grew up uh, outside of Philly. My dad, his first church was outside of Philadelphia, and the Philadelphia Eagles fans would sing that in hopes that their children wouldn't grow up to be Dallas Cowboy fans. Uh, That's the first time I heard it, uh, just as a parody. Uh, Is everybody familiar with that song? If you are, you're going to hell. No, I'm joking. Um, No, it's a pretty popular song, right? So here's this song. It's kind of tug-in-cheek, right, of this guy singing about, uh, you know, moms, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys, right? And he he says in the song, let them be doctors and lawyers and such, right? And And he warns some of the lifestyle of what happens when they grow up to be cowboys, some of it is uh, pretty seedy stuff, like going to bars and stuff. But th- th- there are a couple, like one, uh, cowboys ain't easy to love. They're even harder to hold. There you go. That's, that's a couple reasons. Here's another reason why you shouldn't let your kids grow up to be ca- Dallas Cowboy fans. Joking. Um, he'd rather give you a song than silver or gold, right? And then he says, cowboys love smoky old pool rooms, and clear mountain mornings, right? In the song, he gives two reasons why they become cowboys. They play the guitar, and they drive old trucks. That's it. That's, so moms, when you're raising your kids, don't let them play guitar or drive an old truck. I'm joking. Uh, I bring that up because this morning, as I was thinking of this text, I thought of that song, Because Solomon's doing something similar. He is telling us not to grow up to be fools, right? That's kind of what we've been seeing in this section of the book of Proverbs where you have this polar opposites, right? And and Solomon's examining both. He's examining, on the one hand, the wise, and then he's examining the fool. And the hope is that as we look at the fool and as we look at the wise person, we'll go, yeah, I want to be wise. Wise is far superior than being a fool. I don't want to be a fool. And so the hope is that we look at the foolish behavior and say, nope, don't want that. What's interesting is this is probably one of the larger sections of the book of Proverbs. And it's a question that I ask myself quite often. Why does he spend so much time on this, right? Why does he spend so much time on this examination of the two? 
causing us to look at one, look at the other? Why does he spend so much time on foolishness? And as I've been sharing the past couple weeks, and I'll share it again, I, I think one of the reasons that he constantly is telling us about foolish behavior and foolish people is because we do admire foolish people, right? I, I mean, there's, there's something appealing to us about foolishness, right, that we might be tempted to go away. I'm not saying that it's a good type of desire. We still have the flesh that craves all of that bad stuff, and I think deep down there's things that foolishness offers that our flesh goes, that's what I want. I want that stuff. We see people that do the things that our flesh wants to do, and we say, I want to be like that guy. I want to do what he does. So there's a sense in which we begin to admire these foolish people, and then become tempted to do the foolish things that they do. And so I think the section reminds us of foolishness, reminds us of the danger, how dangerous foolishness is, reminds us of the destructive power of foolishness, so that you and I will look at this and go, no, it's just not worth it. I, I don't want that. I, I, I begin to see through that foolishness. So this morning, in Proverbs 17, we're going to go from verses 12 to 20, we're going to look at several reasons why we shouldn't admire foolish people. Why we shouldn't admire foolishness. It's a fair warning, by the way, before we get into this text and start looking at it. Um, as I was reading this text, I, w- I was talking to one of my friends in Florida saying, I can't believe how I see all of these things inside of the church regularly, right? These are, these are things, when, when we talk about this foolishness that we shouldn't admire, I see a lot of this seeping into the church. I, I, I think as modern American Christians, we really do like a lot of foolishness, and it's not a good, it's not a good thing. Um, I think the church has always struggled with it, by the way. I, I think we could look at any church and go, yeah, that period of time in church history also loved foolishness. It might have looked a little bit different than us, but that's kind of the nature of being on this side of glory, right? There's always going to be struggle. Jesus is building his church. This isn't the finished product. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of chiseling on our hearts. But he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is a, that is a promise that I think we should think about quite a bit. Yes, there's a lot of bad things in the church. Yes, there's a lot of bad things happening outside of the church. But Jesus... And God the Father and the Holy Spirit has made a promise to us that he began this work in our hearts. And guess what? He's the one that's going to complete it until we see Jesus. Doesn't mean that we go out and we be as disobedient as we can. But it does mean that we should have some encouragement realizing that God, the triune Godhead, does have a vested interest in our sanctification and is working on us and he has not given up on us, and we are not alone, that there is hope, right? The light at the end of the tunnel is not a coming train. It's the actual end of the tunnel. So, with that being said, let's go to Proverbs 17, verse 12, and in hopes that as we look at foolishness, we will look at this and go, no, I, I, don't, I don't like that. I, I don't want that in my life. That's not something I should admire and, and I should strive for wisdom in Christ's likeness. So just notice in verse 12. 
Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Okay, kind of an interesting proverb to start off with. By the way, um, if you go to Israel now, you won't see a lot of bears there. They've been killed off. But uh, there are some bears there in that area. They're uh, a subspecies of brown bear. They're actually known as uh, uh, Syrian brown bears. They're the smallest type of brown bear. And one thing that, that I think we all know, if you just know a little bit about bears, you know that if you come across a mama bear that's separated from her cubs, that's a bad day for you, right? If you find yourself there, mama bear's coming. And there's really not a lot of things that you can do to stop it. In fact, the advice given is drop on the ground and cover up, right? That's the advice because it's coming. In fact, it's, it's amazing. When I think of this, um, you know that 70% of grizzly bear, when they attack humans and human fatalities, is when a human being gets in between a, a sow and her cubs? That's a staggering number of people that die, right? It's incredibly dangerous. It's, it's incredibly dangerous. Anyone who spent any time in the woods where there's a bear been, that, that you know that there's a bear and she has cubs, you are on the lookout all the time. You are looking out to make sure that some, for some reason, you are not in between her and her cubs, right? If you see her with your cubs, you back up slowly, right? You, you don't want to challenge that because it's dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly stupid to walk between a, a, a mother, a, a bear, a mama bear and her cubs. Solomon takes this, something that we all know, and says, you want to know what's actually more dangerous? You, you know what would be preferable to being, like, like, it would be preferable to be mauled by a bear than to be around a fool in his folly. Right? It's, I, I would rather be attacked by a grizzly bear. That, that's, that's essentially what he's saying. That's remarkable. It's remarkable how Solomon sees this as being so dangerous. Now, we're not just talking about somebody who just lacks sense. We're not talking about somebody who just does really, really ignorant things. We're not, we're not talking about somebody who just, who just lacks that, that normal sense that everybody has. We're not talking about that, okay? We're talking in, in the book of Proverbs about somebody who lacks the fear of God. We're talking about somebody who does not take God seriously. We're talking about someone who promotes to other people, do not take God seriously, points them away from the Lord, and thus points them to eternal destruction, right? That's kind of the idea of a fool. So obviously, yeah, it would be far better to be mauled by a bear than to listen to somebody who doesn't take God seriously and gives you advice and acts in a way that moves them away from the Lord in transgressions and promotes sinfulness and fault. That is incredibly dangerous. So when we look out and we see people that we might admire and we realize they're actually fools, they they don't have a serious relationship with the Lord there, all their advice is always against what the scriptures has to say. The attitudes that they promote are against the fruit of the Spirit. And if you find yourself beginning to admire such a person, remember, 
It's far better to be mauled by a bear than to admire this person and follow this person and take the advice of this person, to be tempted by this person, to not be walking by the Spirit and walking by the flesh. This is dangerous stuff. Very dangerous. So why shouldn't we admire the fool? Because it's dangerous. It's highly dangerous. In a sense, we could say that the following verses from 13 to 20, maybe even further than that, describes the extent of the danger of fools, right? How dangerous are fools? Well, the following verses kind of explain the danger. Why it would be better to be mauled by a bear? Notice verse 13. Still kind of thinking of a fool in his folly. He who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Now, this is an interesting verse. Just as interesting as a mama bear, right? Think of this. He who returns evil for good. This is speaking of a person who is the recipient of something that is good, something that is godly, something that is honoring of the Lord, right? That someone does an action towards them which is ethically good, morally good, for their benefit, that promotes the Lord Jesus Christ and true edification. They take that, which is a good thing, and they go, you know what, I really need to pay that person back. That was so nice of them. I know, I'm going to do something wicked to them. That's the description here. That they willfully know that what was done was good to them, and that they willfully know that they're going to respond to that good act with wickedness. Now, the word here for wickedness is to cause harm. They are are purposely trying to cause harm. I couldn't help when I thought of this of think of someone like Judas Iscariot. Think about, think about the incredible blessing. Man, I would give up everything I own to spend, a, you know, time during Jesus' earthly ministry, right? I would love to just see how Jesus interacted in his earthly ministry. What an incredible blessing from the Lord that those guys had. And then you had Judas Iscariot who was there and saw a lot of it, right? What did he do? For that blessing that was given to him, he turned Jesus in, right? There's numerous times where we see in the Bible where somebody does something good and evil is returned to them. Now, in my flesh, let's say, let's say this, because this happens a lot, where someone will do something good, someone will repay that with evil, my flesh will go, well, now that they've done something evil to me, that means I get to do something evil to them. But we must remember, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, right? Do not repay evil for evil. We are different. We do not have the opportunity of returning evil for evil. Now, we may want to. We may look at people that return other people evil for evil. And we may even admire that. We may reason and say, that's a good thing. That retaliation was necessary. But for us, we have a different standard. Jesus. Remember, Jesus was nailed on the cross by evil men. And in his dying breath, what did he say? Father, forgive them. He did not return evil for evil. If anyone could have returned evil, if anyone could have been justified, it would have been the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one. But he didn't. That's how we're supposed to act. But here, this is, this is the... This is the This is what makes a a fool so dangerous. You'll do something good, 
and they'll, they'll return it for evil. And notice the consequence. Evil will not depart from their house. So the sense is that their house kind of has wickedness on it and in it. I understand this, by the way, this evil will not depart from the house as a, as a sense that because they're doing evil things and they're constantly doing evil things when people do good things to them, that either one, this is referring to um, those people will retaliate. Th- that's true, right? I mean, how many times have we seen that where somebody does something evil to someone else and they retaliate, and when they retaliate, it's far worse than the original evil. It's not good, but that will happen. And, and the idea is that a fool can't see that. He can't, he can't look three steps ahead and go, well, if I do something bad here, wicked here, they might turn around and do something wicked to me. They just can't see that. It may also include influencing the rest of the people inside of his house. Like, it literally sticks around. I once heard a story about the the James brothers. Remember those guys? Those guys who used to rob trains? You know that their dad was a pastor? There's one account that that their dad gives that uh, apparently there was a stray dog that that the guys found. And the kids fell in love with the dog. And there was a letter in the newspaper said, hey, I lost my dog. It's a black dog, but there's like these three white hairs that, you, that identifies it as my dog. And the James boys went out and they saw it and the dad saw it. And the dad said, you know what we'll do? We'll take some soot, rub some soot on the white parts so that when the guy comes around, he won't know that it was his dog. And they did that. He later then lamented and he said, that's what turned my sons into criminals right? That, that, that type of thing. If you do evil and constantly do evil, there's people around you that are influenced by that constant evil behavior. It kind of rubs off. And so the idea here is if you're const- a fool does this, he's hurting actually the people around him. We can't forget also the fact that if you do something evil, the word evil here could also be referred to as calamity in the second part of verse 13. And so the idea is that if you do what is wicked, God will punish you with a calamity. Think of Haman as he tried to destroy the Jews. That's pretty dangerous, right? Don't admire a fool because he ruins his house, right? He, he, he returns evil for good, and that evil will never depart. It's always associated with that house. Now notice verse 14, the beginning of strife, the word here for strife is verbal arguments, right? So the beginning of a verbal argument is like letting out water. So imagine you have a bucket full of water, a verbal argument, the beginning of a verbal argument is like taking a pin and if possible, shoving it through the bucket and letting it out so that there's a little bit of water dripping. That's the image, right? And then, notice what he says. So, abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Here's one of these few imperatives that Solomon gives in the book of Proverbs. And the idea is, abandon the quarrel. Literally, walk away from this type of fight before it breaks out. It's kind of like the idea of a dam, right? There's a leak in the dam. Get away as fast as you can because the dam is about to break. And when it breaks... Everything is destroyed. Save yourself. And so the idea here is, for us, when we look at this as believers, 
we would say, okay, there's certain times where we know that we are arguing with somebody. We have a difference of opinion, whether we're right or wrong. It doesn't matter in this case. But things are starting to get a little heated in the discussion. That is like water leaving a dam. Solomon's advice is don't continue down that road and let it get escalated until emotions get involved because you are going to say something, do something that's going to destroy. It's better not to have that type of stuff. It's better to deal with it right away. It would be better to walk away from a discussion and let cooler heads prevail and discuss the subject with cool heads than to just fly off the handle in full emotions. By the way, isn't that what the, the Holy Spirit does, right? Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the last one, self-control. This ability to control oneself, this ability not to let one's emotions inflare them so that they're just flying off the handle, just saying whatever comes to their mind. When we're walking by the Spirit, there is a sense of self-control. There is a sense that I don't say everything that comes to my mind, right? I'm able to control it. And anyone who's ever been in a serious quarrel and, and has entered into a yelling match knows nothing good can ever come out of a yelling match. I don't know of a single yelling match I've been a part of in my entire life where the end result was somebody said, you know what, as you were yelling at me, calling me names and belittling me, you made a point. And as I thought about it as I was yelling back to you, that really changed my mind. Thank you so much for describing my foolishness in so many different ways. You are a thesaurus and you changed my mind. Thank you. It's never happened. In fact, you know what's end up happening? Is people just become more entrenched. And, and it's harder to resolve in the end. It's harder to love because things were said and feelings are hurt. And so Solomon says, just don't do it. So for us who are wise, we would go, yeah, it's not good, no matter what the subject is, to get into a yelling match. It's just not good. We should try to avoid it. If possible, be at peace with all men, as much as it depends on us. The implication, by the way, is the fool, he, he doesn't walk away, he comes to it with a jackhammer, right? He comes with a baseball bat. He says, there's a little bit of water. Watch this. I'll make more water come out. They're argumentative. Now, there's more, right? So we shouldn't admire that. Notice verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Why shouldn't we admire the, the foolish? What makes them so dangerous? They willfully declare someone who is guilty innocent. And they willfully condemn someone who is righteous as being guilty. They do that in their mind. Whether they're judges or whether this speaks of just as they're walking around in life. That's not good, right? That's not good to have a whole bunch of people that, are, that jump to jump to conclusions and, and justify wicked behavior and then jump to conclusions and condemn righteous behavior. 
it made me think that we, we as modern people, we, we do have a, a really terrible habit of jumping to conclusions because of something that we've heard on the news. And I think in the back of our mind, we all know that when we listen to something on the news, we know that it's skewed and it's slanted. And we know that everything on the news TV is sensationalized. I think in the back of our mind, we all realize that. But somehow we just forget about it and we go, that's right. That's right. That person who did that thing is guilty. That's right. That person that did that is innocent. And we don't know. (laughs) We don't know. We weren't there. We don't have all the evidence. All we have is what was said on the TV screen. That's real dangerous. This is going a step further. This is when you know someone is guilty and you go, yeah, but they were righteous. Or when you know that someone is righteous and you go around saying that person is guilty. That's dangerous. All of us know that's dangerous, right? We all know the danger of gossip. We all know the danger of slander. This is dangerous stuff. A a wise person doesn't do this. A wise person uh, uh, looks at God's word and tries to judge based off of God's word. And if something is righteous, then something is righteous. If something is wicked, it's wicked, right? God hates this. Notice, Notice what he says. Both of them alike are an abomination. They're both bad. Perversion of justice is bad. It's always bad. It's never good. God hates it every time. He hates it when we do it. He hates it when we do it as believers. But it's so much fun to do this type of stuff, isn't it? In the moment, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Sin is really fun initially, isn't it? It is. For that moment, it does kind of feel good. This type of thing does kind of feel good in the initial part, but it's bad. In the long run, it's bad. This is why it's so dangerous to admire somebody who does stuff like this. It's so dangerous, so dangerous when the church does this. We, we see the danger of when a country or a town or a city does this. Same thing for the church. Now notice, notice verse 16. Why shouldn't we admire the foolish person. Notice verse 16 what the foolish person does. Why is there a price in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom? Essentially this. Why does the fool think if he just has enough money he can buy wisdom? Why does he think that? Because the implication is you can't buy wisdom. But a fool has such a bad understanding of what wisdom is has a bad understanding of where wisdom comes from, he has a bad understanding of how to acquire wisdom, that he thinks he could just simply get enough money and just buy it. I'm debating here on the next thing I should say. I'll say it. There is a growing sense amongst believers that because somebody went to a very expensive school and has a whole bunch of letters behind their name, that that automatically means that they got wisdom because they went to school. There's a lot of times inside of the church where we think, well, as long as, they, as long as the church pays for a certain class and somebody goes through that class at church, they'll come out wise. That's really a bad understanding of wisdom, right? 
I mean, going through the book of Proverbs, we, we've learned wisdom isn't gained like that. It's not like getting your welding license, right? It's not like going in and getting your car license, right? Your driver's license. It's not like that. Wisdom is something deeper. Wisdom, wisdom is something that takes the soul that's being transformed by God. It, it takes God's work on our heart. It, it, it takes taking God seriously and his word seriously. It takes time to cultivate wisdom. It, 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 takes, it, it takes hard work to cultivate wisdom. It takes discernment. To think that all I have to do is just go to some school for four years and pay them enough money, and then I'll get a degree and I'll come out wise... Or to think that that's what happens, that somebody can just go to a seminary and get a degree, and now they are wise and we have to listen to them. That's a growing trend inside of the church. I think it's sad. I think it's really sad. It's really sad how we sometimes think about wisdom and how we think about how people get wise. Wisdom comes from God. He's the source of wisdom. Wisdom comes from Christ. He's the source of wisdom. Wisdom comes from God's word as the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. Now, I'm not against Bible schools. Don't, under, don't misunderstand me. I am a product of Bible schools in some sense. I, I, I've always seen Bible schools not as that thing that builds someone's theology, but that which polishes someone's theology. I think theology should be built in the local church, Right? That's, that's what happened to me. I grew up in the local church. I learned theology from the church through Bible study, through the teaching of older believers towards me. That's where I learned theology. I went to Bible school to polish that so that I could say correct theology in a way that's understandable, right? Help me organize theology, giving me some skills that the local church couldn't necessarily give me, right? Such as language, such as history, some of those things that are needed, but sometimes we as the church just aren't equipped to handle. So there's polish. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about somebody who has such a bad idea of wisdom that they think, I could just go buy it. I I could come up with some plan to get wisdom and circumvent God. So why does he go around doing this? This is what the fool does. That's dangerous. Imagine, imagine if we all started to think that fool. Just, yeah, all you have to do is just go to school. All you have to do is just do a class. You don't have to go to God, right? That's, that's crazy. That's what a fool thinks. That's what's dangerous. It happens. Why is it bad to admire a fool? Notice verse 17. It says, a friend loves at all times... And a brother, and, and, and for this sake, I'm going to say a friend that's like a brother, because I think that's what he's saying, is born for adversity. Now, here is a righteous principle in the midst of all of this foolishness, right? Before, it's just kind of been focusing in on foolish. And, and here's, here's something that teaches us about wisdom, teaching us about a wise, godly friend. A wise, godly friend... And a wise, godly brother, man, he loves at all times. When times are good and when times are bad, there are godly friends that the Lord brings into our lives that stick with us. As, as, as Greg was reading Paul's words at the end of Colossians, you, you, could almost, you could almost 
summarize what, what Greg read by this. A friend loves at all times. Here's all this adversity. The Apostle Paul's naming these friends by name, talking about how they've encouraged him. Paul's in the midst of some terrible things. These believers have encouraged him. Paul in the book of Philippians talks about people that were not friends, who, whatever this means, says they preached the gospel to hurt him while he was in prison. Those are not friends. But there were friends that Paul had, and they love at all times, regardless. They're there. They're in the corner. This is is a godly friend. This is godly love. This is the way the church should act. This is one of those descriptions of love, right? Love never fails. And, and, And notice how he describes the closeness and intimacy between these friends by the next word, a brother is born for adversity. I think, he, I think this is still borrowing from a friend. So this is like a, this is like a, a friend, this is like a friend that's a brother, like a sister. You're close, you're close, you're close, you're close. And when things are really bad, that person is in your corner, right? Some have said, and I think there might be even an implication where they say, well, brother may not even speak of a, of a friend who's like a brother, this actually may speak about your family, how it may be contrasting how friends are always there for you, (laughs) but family is only there for you when things are bad. That might be the case too, but I I, I see this as being positive. I don't see this as being two negatives. I see this as two positives. And if this is talking about the family, then think about this. Think about the joy of a wise person who's living righteously, who has discernment to choose good, godly friends that has been able to influence his family that has a good, godly family so that when things are bad, there's a lot of people in his corner to encourage him to to live for the Lord. Right? What a joy that is. The question is, what does a fool do here? Well, the fool's the opposite, right? Right? The fool is not a friend that loves at all times. He's a guy who is trying to get something out of you, right? He'll prey on you in adversity. He'll prey on you, he'll prey on you when, when times are good and when times are bad. He won't get your back. He won't defend you, right? We already learned that if there's, for some reason, you have to go before court and you need a character witness, that fool will return evil for good. That fool will say you're guilty if you are innocent, and he will say you're innocent if you're guilty, right? He's only concerned about himself. He, he may appear to be a friend, but he's really not. Don't admire such people. Why should we not admire a fool? Notice verse 18. A man's lacking in sense pledges. Here, it's the idea of a handshake. It's of a business deal. It's, of, it's an idea of, of co-signing a debt on uh, of someone else and becomes a guarantor in the presence of his neighbors, meaning he, he's public about, about his ability to, to co-sign with people, and, and he just does it. You'd say, why is this so dangerous? Why is it dangerous that here's somebody who's helping somebody resolve their debt issue. Here's one. One reason is it's not being a good steward of his time or of his resources, right? To put oneself in that position, to say, if that guy doesn't pay, you can come after me and I will pay. Maybe not the, mo- maybe not the smartest thing. And you would have to ask yourself to begin with, what kind of wise person goes into debt? 
And then what kind of person then looks at that person that goes into debt and says, you're my best friend, I'll help you out because I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll also pay as well, right? Just shows a lack of discernment. Shows a lack of understanding of stewardship. Shows a lack of, of understanding of what God has given. When, when you understand in the ancient world, many people didn't put themselves up for collateral. They put up their land, which God had given Israel. Bad move. They'd put up their children as collateral, not themselves. They'd put up property. They'd put up things. And so it's possible that they would lose everything. Just instead of protecting those things that God gave him to protect, he's giving it off as if he has the right to determine where these things go. Get around these people that you might get roped into some of these schemes. It's dangerous. Verse 19, notice else how, why, why it's so dangerous not to admire these people. He who loves transgression loves strife. Interesting note here. You see the word in verse 17 where it says a friend loves at all time? That deep sense of dedication, of, of commitment. Same word that's used in verse 19 both times. He who loves... So like a friend loves a friend, this person loves transgressions. And by default, loves fighting, loves strife, loves open hostility. That is a striking and alarming description of a fool, that a fool loves sin. He loves rebellion. He loves not following God's word. He loves it when people are rebellious against all kinds of things. He's the first one that says, rebellion, I love it. Anarchy, I love it. You can't tell me what to do, I love it. Rebellion, don't put any rules on me. That's the type of guy here. That guy that loves that, that loves that raw individualism that you can't tell me what to do, loves a good fight. Say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with loving a good fight? Well, notice what it says. He who raises his door seeks destruction. And you might say, well, that's a strange description of a guy who loves to fight. He raises his door. Does that mean that he takes his door off the hinges and walks around going, look at my door. It's higher than your door. What does this mean? Kind of a little difficult. Ultimately, what it means, regardless of how you understand that metaphor, it speaks of one's pride speaks of one's arrogance. It may refer to his mouth as, a, as, as the door, and as he loves rebellion, as he loves strife, he arrogantly opens his trap and just talks about how awesome he is and how awesome his cause is and how you need to be part of his cause, and thus it ultimately leads to his destruction. Another understanding is that this person in in, in loving strife is trying to build himself up in the midst of strife. So it's, his motivation is arrogance. And as he's building up himself and his family and his property, it's as if his house is being built on a hill higher than everyone else's. And thus, by result, his door is above everyone else's in elevation. But it's a symbol of speaking of somebody who elevates themselves in arrogance. Regardless of how you take it, arrogance is the key here, right? That's the sin that he's doing. And it demonstrates that the person that loves rebellion and loves to fight 
also loves themselves. And if you love all three of those things, the result is destruction. That's not a good thing. So I grew up in Wyoming. I started a punk rock band in Wyoming. And if you know anything about punk rock music and those who are part of punk rock music, we don't like rules, right? Anarchy. Coming from Wyoming, very strong, rugged individualism. When I was living very fleshly, being a Wyoming punk rocker, the self-love and arrogance reeked to Canada. Right? Was not a good time. Was not a good time. I understand this, this mentality. I understand the struggle of loving rugged individuality. I understand the struggle of loving a good fight for the sake of a good fight. I love this idea of pride, of saying, I'm the best. I, I, I understand that, right? I kind of grew up in a culture that, that epitomized that and encouraged that type of behavior. As I look at the word, and as I'm growing in the word, I'm realizing that is the complete opposite of what God has for me as a believer. A godly man is not one who's pugnacious, who's not arrogant, I'm not trying to say, look how awesome I am. A godly man, a godly husband and a godly father is one that should be humble, should be teachable from God's word and promote Jesus Christ, right? When I get around some of those old people I used to hang out with in Wyoming who are still in the punk rock and still in the Wyoming, man, there's something about the way they talk that I go, yeah, that sounds good. Let's burn down everything again. That's the flesh. And I got to realize that's the flesh. And I got to realize I can't admire that anymore. I have to admire Jesus. I have to admire what God is doing through the work of the Spirit in my heart. I can't admire that old stuff. Because that old stuff, notice what it brings. It brings destruction. It doesn't bring about anything good. It brings about only things that are bad. And then you think about this next one, verse 20. He who has a crooked mind finds no good. He who is twisted, that's literally the word here, twisted, has a twisted mind. We've met people that are twisted, right? You've met a twisted person before. Nothing's good. And notice, I love how it says, and it finds no good. By him saying he finds no good, it doesn't mean that he set out to find good and just couldn't find it. The idea is he sets out on the onset to say, I want to find everything that is not good. That's far different from saying, I want to find out everything that's evil. It, it, It speaks, I know that there's a good I know that there's this thing that I should be doing, but I don't want to go there to find it. I want to do the opposite of that. And notice, and he who is perverted in his mouth, though this word could talk about saying things that are sexually perverted, twisting those things which are right, it's probably better to say that this person is a mumble mouth 
That's literally the word, a mumble mouth. And the phrase mumble mouth most likely means lying. As he's talking, he's just saying words so that you can't really understand the truth. That's the image. It's like putting a whole bunch of rocks in your mouth and trying to talk and trying to describe something to somebody, but you're purposely putting rocks in your mouth so they can't understand you. That's the idea. And so it's kind of, an, it's kind of a funny verse. Uh, so he who has a tumbling mouth falls, right? Think of that image. It's tumbling inside of his mouth. He falls, and where does he fall? He falls into evil. So we shouldn't admire a foolish man we, we, we shouldn't admire these people at all because they're dangerous. They lead us to bad places. And I think about the church today, and I'm sure that many of you, as you've listened to some of these descriptions, have thought about a lot of examples and go, yep, that's happened in the church. Yep, that's happened in our culture. Yep, I've done that thing. There may even be some people that go, I don't admire foolish people. I cut all that stuff out. I was thinking about it this morning. I was thinking about, do I really admire foolish people? Like, do I I literally do that? Like, Like, am I attracted to foolish people that I know I shouldn't be? Of course I am. And of course you are. And and to, to assume that we never will be influenced or tempted by fools is not right-minded. Think about it. The Apostle Peter in the book of Galatians listened to foolish people. Think about it. Solomon, one of the wisest people that's ever lived, listened to foolish people. This, This text should be a warning for us that when we're tempted to admire somebody who's a fool, we think back to this text and go, oh, this could turn out ugly. This will turn out ugly. Why would I admire somebody that's a fool? Why would I admire these attitudes? This is so against the nature of God. This is so against what God's doing in my life through Christ and through the Spirit. Why would I want this? Why, would, why, why am I even thinking about being tempted in this way? This, this text should be like a siren in our, in, our, in our minds that when we do feel that sense of temptation and that, that pull, right, to go and to be and to admire a fool, this, this text should set off alarm bells going, don't go there, it's dangerous, it's dangerous, there's a fire. But I guarantee you, this next week, we will face this type of temptation. In fact, I'm not 100% sure we won't face this temptation within the next 15 minutes after we leave. But I think the Lord, in his grace and his mercy, has given us the spirit, has given us his word, has given us brothers and sisters, has given us Christ and himself. And I think by the things that he's given us, we can have victory over this type of temptation. Through the power of the cross, we can have victory over this. We can admire the right things. So my advice is, let this be an alarm bell, but just don't let it be an alarm. May it be an alarm that tells you, okay, now it's time to flee to the right place. 
It's now time to flee to Christ. It's now time to flee to his word. It's now time to fight this temptation. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the things that are found in your word. We just ask that as we, as we go home, that your word would work deeply into our hearts. Your spirit would teach us, lead us, and guide us so that we may be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us admire and love the things that you love. Help us be dedicated to what is right and not to what is wrong. Help us in our fight with temptation, knowing that you are truly our escape from those things and that you have always offered an escape for our temptation. Lord, just help us. Please help us in the midst of our fights. We're very thankful once again for your promises that you give us, that we have Jesus and we have your word. We thank you and we love you so much. Help us have a good rest of the day and help us come back tonight that we may continue to learn from your word. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen.